Welcome to Indoor Voices, presented by Millicare Floor and Textile Care. Join us as we explore the great indoors and talk to experts about how to improve our indoor environments. Welcome to Indoor Voices, brought to you by Millicare Floor and Textile Care. I've got a, kind of one of my favorite people with me today because um, Bruce Deloach uh, trained me uh, for my IICRC odor control technician class, and it was one of the best classes that I took. So I'm glad to have him here, ask him some questions, get some feedback on his passion, and I hope you folks uh, enjoy it as well. So Bruce, well, like I said already, you're an accomplished IICRC instructor. And, and regarding teaching, what are you most passionate about? Man, so um, it's probably the science. I know that sounds kind of boring, but the reason I like the science is because all of the principles, you know, that we teach, you know, like, for instance, in the water class, we teach psychrometry, right? It's the science of how to manipulate water molecules to make them do what you want them to do. Fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. In the odor control class, I talk about the science of how odors penetrate into materials and then the science of how either the chemistry that we use or the methods we use or the equipment that we use, how it actually goes in and, and uh, takes care of those odor issues at the scientific level. So we talk a little bit about physics, but the cool part is, is that I simplify it to the point where you don't even know that we're talking about physics. And so when you walk out of the class, I like you to have those principles and have a deeper understanding so that no matter what the situation is, different types of materials, different types of odors, different types of uh, problems, you can take that deeper knowledge and then apply it to the equipment that you have, the chemicals that you have, and the unique situation you're dealing with. So I just like to give people that foundation so that they can make good decisions when they're serving their customers and do, and do a better job. No, that's awesome. I wanted to get that passion out first um, so people could get to know you. So I usually start Indoor Voices with this next question, right? So tell us a little bit about your history. What's the background story that brought you to where you are today? Well, like most people who are in our industry, I got into it accidentally. So, you know, <laughs> right. it's like nobody, like I wasn't in, in, uh, you know, fifth grade and saying, man, I, I, I'm really looking forward to figuring out how to get rid of, uh, you know, sewage out of crawl spaces. That would be so awesome. You know, we don't, none of us gets into this, you know, no one says, oh man, I can't wait. When I grow up, I want to clean carpets. But that's how, <laughs> that's kind of how I started. Um, I was doing a whole other thing. I was in construction. And a friend of mine wanted to start a carpet cleaning business. And I said I would just help him kind of to get the money together and, you know, secure financing and everything. And we had a partnership. And and unfortunately, um, you know, I wasn't supposed to be involved in a day-to-day -day business, but something really unfortunate happened. He had to exit the partnership uh, very quickly. And I was forced to you know, keep this thing going. I mean, everything that my wife and I owned was on the line, our house, our, you know, our real estate, uh, rental properties, you know, we had a lot of, of stuff that, that could go bad. And because of the nature of this, this difficulty, um, our business plummeted down to like a third of what it had been. So it was pretty dark days, but I had to take classes. So I started taking IICRC classes so I could literally learn how to do the work so we could save the business. And uh, it was during those classes that I discovered that, man, I, that's what I really want to do. So we built our business up to a, a gem of a business. It was profitable. We sold the business. 
And uh, for the past 17 or 18 years, we've been focusing on training, coaching, and consulting to professionals in the cleaning and restoration industry. I love it. I love it. So, so being an expert in odor control, right? Um, in, in a lot of my circles, we talk about indoor air quality. Yeah. And I know sometimes there's an intersection. So could you tell us in your career, maybe when odor control and indoor air quality have kind of intersected? It happens a lot. Um, you know, when I'm dealing with fire and smoke restoration, for instance, um, some of the primary concerns are indoor air quality. Now we talk about elimination of odors, but like we say in the class, those odors are a sign of something going on. And so if we can get to the root of what's causing the odors, we can probably find uh, that we're also removing contaminants that could be uh, a health risk to the occupants. Um, but there was an interesting situation, and I'll share it real quick. I know I told this one in the odor class. There was an interesting situation where a, uh, a, a contracting company, so they, they were commercial builders, they built their new offices in a, uh, in a uh, shopping center. And uh, they had one office in the back that nobody wanted to use because sometimes there was just this disgusting odor in the office. And they had torn out all the drywall and rebuilt it. That didn't fix the problem. They took out the carpet, sealed the concrete, replaced the carpet. That didn't fix the problem. They brought in, uh, you know, certified industrial hygienists who set up monitoring and took gas samples and everything. Nobody could find the source of this odor that would recur and then go away, recur and then go away. But nobody did the one thing that I did. I got down on my hands and knees and I sniffed around. I tried to find what's the source of the odor? Because if I can find the source, then I can form a hypothesis about what might be causing it. And then I can go down my path of trying to disprove that uh, because once you've, uh, you know, eliminated all the things that disprove the hypothesis, then you can say the hypothesis is probably true and move forward. So anyway, I got on my hands and knees and I found a crack in the concrete at the base of a wall. And that's where the odor was coming from. So, hypo so, so then I said, okay, there's something down there. It smells sort of like sewage. I think it might be a broken sewer line. And sure enough, turns out that there was another suite on the other side. Their toilet was on the other side of the wall. The concrete had shifted. The plumbing line cracked. And sometimes when that bathroom was used, those gases were coming up into that office. So was that a indoor air quality issue? Absolutely. Sewer gases coming up into your office. So odors are often an indication of an indoor air quality problem. And when we solve that odor issue, in many cases, we solve the IAQ problem. Yeah, no, I like it. And it was very, again, very practical, very, very simple using, you know, maybe it's unconventional to get down on your hands and knees, but it helped you to find the source very, very, very quickly. Um, so, so for Millicare, right, we will tell folks um, and we believe that our dry carpet cleaning process helps to improve indoor air quality. Right. Um, and I know I've talked to a lot of other folks that are very aware of their products and how they off gas so that um, when we're cleaning or when there's products in a space, it's as, it's as safe as possible. But if you don't smell anything, who's who's monitoring the indoor air quality? Unfortunately, it's usually no one. Um, a lot of what we do in our industry is complaint driven. So unless you have someone like Millicare, you know, who who educates their clients 
about let's get in front of the problem and prevent the problem rather than wait for the problem to occur before we get after it. So very few companies place emphasis on cleaning for health. They clean for appearance. They clean so that they can maintain the property and the longevity of the product. But some of the very cleaning methods and chemicals that are used in that process uh, reduce indoor air quality, actually creates irritants, um, releases compounds that are known to cause problems with the respiratory tract and, and cause irritation. So it isn't until somebody makes a connection between employee off days, um, employees, you know, becoming ill more often, um, allergies and asthma, things like that. And th they make the connection that, man, you know, when I go to work, I feel worse. And then when I leave, I feel better. And, and until somebody makes that connection uh, and then they, they hire the services of an indoor environmental professional to do an assessment, most of the time they, you know, nobody's checking. I love that because because this will dovetail into our next question, right? So March of 2020 brought a giant swing towards cleanliness, cleanliness in buildings, right? We know cleanliness can can lend to indoor air quality uh, enhancement, right? Um, and uh, everybody started disinfecting everything, right? And then there was a mild swing back towards just understanding the need for proactive cleaning, right? So huge swing to disinfection, huge swing back to cleaning. And my guess is the odor control class that you taught you talked a lot about removing contaminants, right? So my guess is conversations for you from March of 2020 to now kind of have, have changed a little bit, right? So, so what have those become? What, what, what's the question you've been getting most often? Well, first of all, recognize one thing. I'm a cleaning guy. I'm a technical guy. <laughs> I'm not a hygienist, right. okay? So when people are calling me, quite often what I'm doing is directing them to resources who can better answer their specific questions. For instance... Some of the biggest questions were about liability. You know, what's my liability? If I go in there and I apply this product and we're trying to, you know, prevent the spread of this virus in these buildings, what's my liability? Again, that's not my area of expertise. I can tell you how to go in and do the work, but I don't know what your liability is. And you probably should talk to your insurance company and you should talk to an attorney. You know, those are the experts there. I'm not a doctor. So when people start asking me questions that are health related, I'm like, no, 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 I'm not your guy. You know, you may want to talk to someone who has specializes in, uh, you know, indoor hygiene and in the effects on human health and comfort. So where mine comes from is, uh, or where my expertise lies in helping people to understand the proper application of the, uh, you know, the products that they're using, the equipment that they're using, the methodology, and understanding the shortcomings you know, what are the limitations of what you're actually trying to accomplish? So to answer your question that the, you know, those questions were very heavy on the front of this, this uh, crisis. As the crisis progressed, people did start to understand, okay, it really is about cleaning. And, and it got a whole lot easier to help them to understand what, what procedures they should use. So yeah, it's, the, it's, uh, it's, the conversation is turning more toward cleaning now rather than disinfecting. No, I like it. I like it. And, and as an instructor, would you say students that have taken the odor control class or maybe even any restoration class where you're tackling contaminants or pathogens or viruses, they were kind of readily equipped, you know what I'm saying, with the knowledge needed to service buildings from both a disinfection and cleaning standpoint. Um, would, you, would you agree with that? Absolutely. Because if you look at any instructions about the decontamination of a surface. It always starts with cleaning. 
you have to remove the contaminant. And if you do a good enough job, don't miss this, if you do a good enough job removing the contaminant, a lot of times you don't even have to use antimicrobials. The cleaning process sanitizes the space and sanitizes the surface. So if you go through a course where you learn how to remove contaminants, how to properly clean surfaces, and how to effectively use, when necessary, antimicrobial agents, then you're, you are already prepared for this. Many people, you know, they saw this virus as something new. This virus isn't something new. And the procedures used to uh, decontaminate a space, it's nothing new. It's exactly what they've been doing before when they're dealing with sewage and trauma scene cleanup and mold remediation. So yeah, the people who were already educated in our industry in those disciplines were actually prepared very well with the equipment, the know-how, and the methods to handle it. There we go. There we go. So when it comes to handling disinfectants, I mean, how important is licensing and training? You don't have to pay attention to it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> So first of all, you have to understand that disinfectants are uh, considered pesticides at the federal level. And because of that, they fall under the Federal Insecticide, Fungicide, and Rodenticide Act, which is a law. It is a, it is a list of regulations uh, that have to be adhered to by any company that applies these products for a fee. That's usually how it is, it's termed. So if I'm going into someone's home or business and I'm applying antimicrobial biocides, regardless of whether they're phenolics or botanicals or, uh, you know, we have different ones, uh, quaternary ammonium compounds. If you look at the label, they all have one thing in common, an EPA registration number. And as such, they are pesticides. So for instance, the state of Georgia requires licensing for anyone who applies pesticides. Other states don't have that requirement. But those states still have to go back to the federal level and follow the regulations at the federal level. It's just that their states are not enforcing the rule. But so licensing and training, absolutely critical. Um, and it's a requirement uh, by the EPA. I love it. And I like that, you know, you, you kind of stay in your lane when it came to you know, saying liabilities and, and insurance. Um, and I want to bring out that many of your students have asked you to help them to build protocols. And as an expert, you've, you've always tried to stay in your lane, right? Um, and you refer those folks uh, to experts uh, who, are, who, who build protocols, you know what I'm saying, for um, infectious disease. Is, is this something new, though? Is, is, is that person who builds these protocols, is that new? Absolutely not. Uh, in fact, uh, the only reason it feels new is because, again, it's been brought to the forefront in the past couple right. of years. I mean, COVID-19 has a very, very public persona, so to speak. And anytime there's a public health hazard that is brought to the forefront, we concern ourselves with different things like, what about those high-risk occupants? What about if there's obvious high levels of contamination um, you know, or there's a recognized public health hazard. Every building owner or every contractor does well to enlist the services of an expert. You know, we call them generically IEPs. Um, you may call them certified industrial hygienists. You may call people uh, in who are experts in particular pathogens. And so when people came to me and asked about, hey, can, what's the protocol? Listen, folks, I can tell you how to apply a protocol. But if you want a true protocol for how to protect yourself from liability, to achieve a particular claim of uh, reduction of a particular hazard, 
then you need to have that built by someone who has the right certifications to do so. And then I can help you to apply it. Right. So I've seen more articles like you probably have about kind of living, you're saying, in this new atmosphere, you're saying, with uh, an emerging pathogen. And um, how do you think the industry is changing or how has it changed for you, I guess, specifically? Are, are, are there more trainings that will come out around things like um, uh, new, new viruses and how to combat those? Yeah, we're um, again, this, you know, when you bring something like this to the forefront, the first thing that happens and it may not be a pretty side of our industry, but it's just a fact. People start seeing dollar signs. And so they, they rush out and they buy a bunch of foggers and, and then they buy some chemicals and they see a few videos and they think that this is a good way to go out and make money. And they make some claims that they really can't support. But then you start looking at the true professionals and their awareness, our awareness of the need to clean beyond what we can see um, comes to the forefront. And we, we appreciate that um, this dark side that, that there is too will, will run out on its own. In fact, a lot of the companies that popped up are already out of business because the claims that they were making were, were unsubstantiated. But there are companies that, um, that do this and they provide a false sense of security for building owners and occupants. So people like myself and people who are in training um, with you know, IICRC and other organizations are again, they're starting to bring up that awareness to the public, to building owners, that we need to clean, not you know, make claims about disinfection and, and preventing infection, but we need to keep the building clean as a maintenance issue. No, I love it, I love it. So I'm gonna digress a bit, and maybe get into a little bit more fun conversation and kind of split hairs on some stuff. And, I, and I'm open to, to, to changing my paradigm, but one of my key learnings, right, um, and once again, I'm open uh, for you to change my opinion, is is the argument of using abrasives versus versus cleaning something in more passive fashion like forced air. For example, and I know this isn't necessarily environmentally friendly, but when I walk into a bathroom and I wash my hands, I like to reach for the paper towel rather than going to, you know, the, the blade or, you know, the uh, the the feel the power, you know, saying from the uh, from the air that's going to air dry your hands. What's what's your thought on using that forced air versus using just an abrasive to, to clean something off? So if we just use your example and, and your terminology, one thing that that we probably should clarify is the terms. I, th I don't think you mean abrasives. I think you mean agitation. Yeah. And see, physical agitation is one of the key principles of cleaning. So I'm absolutely with you. And, and in, in class, I use this example. I say, if you have your car and the car has road film and dirt and stuff on it, you can go to one of those car washes and they have the, the pressure washing wands. You've seen that, right? Oh, yeah. I don't care how hard you spray on that car. You're not going to take the dirt off. You're, you're still going to have a film of soil on there but you can just take the softest microfiber cloth and wipe over that surface and the soil will come off. So you start thinking about biofilms on other surfaces, which is really the concern. You have biofilms, you have uh, uh, oils that have uh, oxidized and attached to the surface. And we can be talking about carpet, somebody's desk or their cell phone. It's all the same. You need chemical activity, you need Heat, not, not a lot, but heat does help the cleaning process. You need a certain amount of time for the cleaning agents to work, and you need agitation to some degree. So physical agitation, to answer your question, is very important. 
you've uh, you validated kind of me go into the uh, the uh, paper towel. Well, I, I didn't. I don't agree with you because I'm a I'm an air washer. So are you really? Yeah, cause here's, <laughs> here's my concept. My agitation happens in the sink. Oh, and then okay. I rinse no, that's good. That's off, good. And so I just need the air to dry it. There you go. There you go. No, that. Listen, I like I said, I'm completely open to uh, to having my paradigm change. So, um, wanted to bring back one other thing, kind of, kind of the last question here. Um, when someone says they're passionate about something, it always piques my interest. We started this with your passion, and I kind of want to end this with your passion. Um, last time you and I had a chance to talk, you had a green and gray hat on that said coalition coalition of disaster responders. Could you tell us a little bit about that group? Yeah, it's it's funny because it started out, uh, I don't know, I, I don't know exactly how many years ago, I'm going to say around 10 years ago, uh, I was invited, uh, you know, to teach uh, a course for a fairly good sized restoration contractor down in Florida. And they told me a little bit about their vision that they had for independent uh, disaster responders, water damage restoration responders specifically, who handled commercial losses and large losses, that when there were big events, hurricanes, tornadoes, floods, that sort of thing, that what if they could just get a coalition of people who were honest, ethical, had the right equipment and the right training, understood the importance of safety, and they could come together, take care of some of these large losses like government buildings and schools and things, and then when that job was done, they all go their separate ways and they go back to their businesses. I have to be honest with you, when I first heard about it, I thought, yeah, it's, you know, that's a pipe dream. It is big now. And uh, so the Coalition of Disaster Responders has helped a lot of, um, you know, I call them mom and pop, but these are actually sizable companies in some cases, but a lot of mom and pops to be able to tackle really large projects in their area and then go back to business as usual. So I love it. And, and they do good things too. They, they do a lot of good things in those areas. So they support the people and the communities that they serve. No, that's wonderful. And it's, it's awesome to know that you're a, uh, you're a part of that. Well, Bruce, listen, it's been a full conversation today. We, we, we tackled some hard questions. We had some fun questions. We had some passionate questions, but I appreciate you exploring the great indoors with us today. My pleasure. It was fun and uh, look forward to doing it again. All right. If you enjoyed this conversation, please rate and subscribe. This podcast is an audio-only version of the Indoor Voices interview series presented by Millicare Floor and Textile Care. You can watch the video of this interview and find other episodes at millicare.com slash indoor voices.